I think many of you know that in August of what is now the past year, and I struggle to find the right words to say this, so I'll say it this way. In August, I came into possession of a puppy. I know, some of you are laughing at me, but one of the first duties of a new dog owner is also among one of the most critical. That duty is to give the dog a name, and it is harder than you might expect. It needs to be a sound that the dog will recognize and learn to associate with himself. But it also needs to be something that's easy for us, for us humans, to say because we need to be able to call our four-legged friend, you know, quickly and easily. And the naming of the dog also helps something, reflect something about the personality of the owner and what he hopes the dog, of course, you know, we all want and dream for our dog to become. One friend of mine had two dogs, of which I knew one of them. And the first one, the older one, he had named after the biblical character King Hezekiah. And everyone who was admonished and reminded that whenever you visited their house and you were in the presence of that dog, that you referred to him as your majesty. The other dog had a little bit more of a, of a literary slant. And if I remember right, he may have been an Irish wolfhound, but that dog was named... Beowulf, after the big Nordic epic poem. With that in mind, you might understand why I named my furry friend Cramer, after Thomas Cramer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who edited the very first Book of Common Prayer, of which many elements of that book are still in use today, and even within this very liturgy. Today the, feast today, the church celebrates the Feast of the Holy Name. And until the revision of the prayer book in the 1970s, this feast was known as the Circumcision of Our Lord. And in the midst of this Christmastide, this is a major feast that comes eight days after the birth of Jesus. This rounds off the Christmas octave, and it's also the eighth day of Christmas. And in our gospel that we read, any Jew would have understood the phrase that was self-explanatory because it would have told a complete and full story in just a few words. But to us today, Christians removed from our Jewish roots of faith, it seems not all that important of a detail, and we may even puzzle and wonder why it's included in the narrative at all. So why are we reading this passage and why is it significant? Well, let's start with the circumcision. In order for a male child, or even a man in later life, to become part of the nation of Israel, and when we say the nation of Israel, we have to think in tribe, but also as a geopolitical country, but also as a religious organization, you had to be circumcised. It was a mark given on the body that set you apart from others. In the ancient world of the Old Testament, there were many forms of altering the body to signify that you belonged to a certain ethnic group. You might pierce an ear or cut off a finger. Even to this day, there are tribes in parts of the world that practice some form of, and we'll just call it for what it is, a bodily mutilation 
And that identifies you as a member of this or that particular group. But for the Jewish people, circumcision also symbolized a promise made to Abraham by Yahweh that is lived out through all of Abraham's descendants. By continuing the rite of circumcision and naming the child on the eighth day, each Jewish male child was living into that promise with all of the hope and all of the expectation that accompanied each generation. And this is where we enter the story of Jesus and his own right of becoming a full member of the Jewish people. Jesus was born, lived, was taught, and practiced the Jewish faith. By coming to this people, Jesus was born into and lived out his life in the same covenant that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and all the other ancestors of this faith had been a part of. It was this covenant that Jesus was born into that the Jewish people learned over centuries of both slavery, nationhood, exile, and now occupation, that it was through their people, through their nation, that the world would be redeemed. They were, as Simeon will say in a month's time, the light to enlighten the nations. It would be through their covenant that the world would be restored to justice. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. That beautiful passage from Isaiah. The other part of the ceremony and rite of circumcision is the naming of the child. Naming is important. There is heritage that is looked to with family names being considered the most prized. Remember when St. John the Baptist was being named and Zachariah, his father, wrote out on the tablet, his name is John. There was a discussion about the fact that John was not a family name. Family names were very important. They still are. I am named after two of my grandfathers. My paternal grandfather, John, and my paternal, paternal great-grandfather, Louis, who was the child who came over from Huddersfield, Huddersfield, England in 1883. I carry part of the family history with me just by having those two names. And it was much the same in the Jewish world of Jesus. And Jesus, or because this is the Feast of the Holy Name, more correctly pronounced Yeshua, is also an important name. As Yeshua is where we get our name Joshua. And Joshua of the Holy Scriptures, our Old Testament, is the one who leads the children of Israel into the promised land after the death of Moses. It is Joshua who becomes the leader in the land and guides the people into their homes after wandering 40 years in the wilderness. And now, By naming Jesus as the angel had instructed, our Jesus is called upon to fulfill the same task. 
He is leading us into the spiritual promised land of redemption, joy, and sanctification. Jesus leads us home to our dwelling in heaven. Jesus fulfills the ultimate promise of the covenant found way back in Genesis to its culmination in his own death, his resurrection and ascension. And this is why, as St. Paul writes in our epistle this morning, that this name is the most highly honored and revered in all of creation. The name of Jesus itself is life-giving. The name of Jesus is healing. The name of Jesus is through whom we pray, asking our Lord to forgive our sins in Jesus' name. To grant our petitions as may be best for us in the name of our Lord. And who brings us comfort and peace in the healing name of Jesus Christ. One of you commented to me recently about a pious custom that I use when celebrating the Eucharist or praying the daily office. It is the simple bowing of the head at the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the question was a matter of not like, why do you do that, but what's the point of doing that? Well, you see, the name of Jesus, the only name given for our salvation under heaven and in earth, is a holy name, a consecrated name, a name that is set apart. Yes, some cultures still use the name to name members of their family. But almost universally, it is recognized as a name to hold in high reverence and esteem. So, the bowing of the head at the name of our Lord in the context of the liturgy is a mark of respect, a sign of awe. But it is also a reminder to me, your priest, that I serve him, our Lord. And just like a good butler would do to a lord of a manor or a servant to a king, I serve our Lord and King, who alone reigns this universe. And so do you. Oh yes, I sometimes forget when reading the prayers or if I'm distracted by something else. But I also remember it when I'm out and away from the parish. It becomes a physical way, a way to engage the body, the rest of my being, not just my mind or my mouth, but the actual body in the worship of our Lord. And it is a practice that I would suggest that you try. And it's simple. In the context of this Eucharist, or when you pray the daily office at your home, simply bow your head for a mere moment. And you will be surprised by how much that one little movement changes your approach to prayer and to the focus of what we are doing here. Try it for this liturgy, for what remains of it. And if it fits you well, well, then you might use it from now on. 
There is a hymn I considered asking for us to sing today, but thought it might be put to better use here instead. It is by Caroline Maria Noel, an English poet, and in our hymnal it is set to the sturdy yet stunning tune of Rayford Williams. It's hymn 435, and you don't have to grab your hymnal, but if you want to follow along, you can. But this is what she wrote, and it is the great summation of this whole day. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess him king of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. Humbled for a season to receive a name from the lips of sinners, for unto whom he came, faithfully he bore it, spotless to the last, bringing it back victorious when from death he passed. Bore it up triumphant with its human light through the ranks of creatures to the central height, to the throne of Godhead, to the Father's breast, filled it with the glory of that perfect rest. Name him. Christians, name him with love strong as death. Name with awe and wonder and with bated breath. He is God the Savior. He is Christ the Lord, ever to be worshipped, trusted, and adored. In your hearts enthrone him. There let him subdue all that is not holy, all that is not true. Crown him as your captain in temptation's hour. Let his will enfold you in its light and power. Christians, this Lord Jesus shall return again with the Father's glory o'er the earth to reign. For all wreaths of empire meet upon his brow, and our hearts confess him, King of glory now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.